Well, we are going to jump back into our sermon series in 1 Corinthians. And what we've been seeing over the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians is that Paul is telling the church in Corinth that they need to be unified. There was massive division in the church of Corinth. Uh, one of the, the tipping points for this disunity, this division, was the idea of idolizing preachers and teachers. They were talking about Paul, and they were talking about Apollos, and they were talking about Peter, and this is my guy, and this is how this works, and they were arguing as they were elevating men, and really what you do when you elevate men is you minimize God. It's the exact opposite of what we really want to happen. So today, uh, Paul's kind of kind of sum up really what he's getting at and what causes division in the church. It's going to be, it's going to be great. I, I really enjoy uh, studying for this. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Before we jump into the sermon today, I wanted to share with you a prayer. Uh, the elders, we had an elders retreat um, earlier and... Uh, I opened up our elders' retreat with something like this, and it was just a, a way to focus our hearts, helpful prayers or liturgies. But um, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read God's Word. And so we gathered here, uniquely in all of history, we particular people in this singular time and place, accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Tune our hearts to the voice of your spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who arrived anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain and sorrow. May we in our joys find grace to enter the sorrows of others. Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply. For each of us in our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and eternal. Lord, breathe upon our gathering. Grant each of us a place to humbly receive and to faithfully serve, that we might know in this brief gathering a foretaste of that greater communion yet to come. O Father, enlarge our hearts O Spirit, expand our vision. O Christ, establish your kingdom among us. Be at work even now, O Lord. May your will in us in these hours be accomplished. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 starts out like this. This is how one should regard us. Now, Paul is talking to the church and he's saying, this is how you should regard teachers, preachers. Specifically here, he's talking about the apostles. He says, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
There's some, some really key words happening here in these first couple of verses. Let's look at servants. So you might want to circle servants and stewards. And then that, that word faithful at the end of verse 2. We'll come back to those. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up. There's another key word right there. Circle that or underline puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast? There's another key word, boast. As if you did not receive it. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. God's word for us today. Now, the first thing I I want us to look at here is in that first verse there. And it's the first fill-in in your notes is this. We should regard teachers as servants and stewards as servants and stewards. This word servant in the Greek, you might, in your translation, it might say minister. This Greek word, though, servant, was a servant, um, actually a rower, somebody who put their hands to the oar. And on these old ships that they had, they would have different, different tiers of rowers, sometimes up to three different tiers of rowers. And the ones that Paul was talking about were these guys on the very bottom of the ship. They were down in the heat, the mess, the stench, the dirt, and the hard work, long rows, lowest rung on the deck, right? These, this is the type of servant that Paul is talking about. Blood, sweat, and tears, the lowest of the low. Now think about that. He's talking about himself. That is, that is, that's actually really amazing. You don't hear teachers talk that way very often, do you? Actually, if we, we think about teachers today, they tend to lean the opposite way. Writing books and, and talking and, and telling you how great they are or, or what, what they've done and their accomplishments. It's interesting to see how Paul really just lays it out there. We should be regarded as, as servants. And then he goes on, he says, stewards. Now this, this word stewards, this is someone who's been given something from their master and will be held accountable for what they've been given. Servants, lowest of the low. Stewards, given something they're responsible for. Paul's painting a really good picture here. Now he goes on and he talks about 
that they've been entrusted with something and trusted with this mysteries of God. And, and what is the mystery of God that Paul's been talking about? That's not the first time we've, we've seen this or had Paul talking about this. We know from, from earlier that the mysteries of God, the mystery of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. That our creator God would send his only son. God, Jesus was fully man, fully God, and he would send his son. This was a mystery. In fact, uh, as we read earlier, remember what Paul would say? He would say, the world views it as foolishness. You remember we had talked earlier about, uh, Paul would say, I would, a fool for Christ, who's fool are you, is one of the things I said earlier. But Paul's, Paul's saying, the mystery is Jesus. The Son of God crucified for the sins of the world. This is crazy. The world views it as foolishness. This is mysterious how God works. Amazing work of the gospel. Now, I thought about this, and I'm like, servants, stewards of this mystery, the good news. How, I thought to myself, how did the church of Corinth get this so messed up? Right? I mean, how, how did they get to the point where they're looking at these teachers and, and, and they lose sight of Jesus? I mean, we could have some excuses, right? We're a couple thousand years out, you know? Like, this, was, this was like 60 years after Jesus was walking the earth, right? Like, how do you go from Christ crucified and this amazingness to bickering or arguing about Apollos and Paul, right? And so much so that it's causing mass division in the church. This church is about to split. Paul, so much so that Paul has to write a letter of correction. And he's like, listen, you guys are messing this up already. But then I thought to myself, do you, and may, and think, think with me along these lines. Do you, do you remember that first time that you heard the gospel shared and it really pierced deeply into your heart? That life-changing moment that was just amazing revelation? Maybe, maybe it was a, a sermon that you heard. Maybe, you know, you, you knew the gospel, you knew Jesus, but then a pastor shared a truth from God's word with you, and it was like a miracle. It was like the blinders were taken off, it was this deep theological truth that somehow made it past all the fog and mess and makes it right down into your heart. And you're like looking at your life in a completely different way. You, and you walk out a changed person. And you're like, oh my goodness. Like I, I, I had heard that text or that scripture before. You know, I, I probably heard it five or six times. But I, wow, I mean, the way that it was shared today it's changed me. Something inside has changed. And then there's that tendency, that guy is really good with God's word. Man, I mean, he, he, can, he, really, he can really expose the truth of God's word. Like this is, wow. Right? We get to that point and we're just like, oh, I'm going to follow this guy, man. I am going to watch every sermon that such and such church posts up online and everything. Now, there's great teachers, don't get me wrong. And that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But it's not the teacher. 
It's the power behind the teacher. It's the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of God's word. As we open God's word and we read it, there's a supernatural happening that the Holy Spirit comes down and he opens our eyes, it illuminates the word of God and it changes us. We can, we can have teachers that come up and share every Greek word and every Hebrew word and every cultural context and all these different things which are helpful and great and everything else, but apart from the power of the Spirit is meaningless and hopeless. That's what Paul's trying to drive home here. Listen, it's not men. It's not what they share. Well, you know, we have to share the truth, right? That, you know, Paul, Apollos, Peter, these are great teachers. They're sharing God's word. They're sharing the gospel. It's what the Holy Spirit does with what is shared. He said it over and over and over again. And he's kind of giving a precursor as he says, servants, lowest, lowest people on the boat with the hand of the oar, working hard. Servants, stewards, we're only given, we're only giving out what we have been given by the Lord. This is an amazing picture. He's going to bring all this full circle here in just a few verses. Really powerful. So we can't mix up teachers, preachers with the power of God. James 3.1 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, before becoming a pastor, this verse haunted me. And now being a pastor, this verse haunts me. I had to really think about it and pray about it a lot before becoming a pastor. I know that when I see Jesus face to face, I am going to be uh, judged more strictly. And I remember that and know that. And it's, it is pouring, pouring into God's word. And, and what Paul has been saying for three chapters, and we're going to see it even more as we go into this, is that we cannot add anything to this and we cannot take away anything out of this that's here already we have everything that's in here needs to stay i remember hearing a story about a a president i can't remember which one it was but they found they looked at his bible and he had taken a razor blade and cut out every verse he didn't want to have in it we cannot do that every word we believe is God breathed. This is the actual word of God. Now, man's hands may have penned it, but God breathed it onto these pages miraculously through these men. Every word is on purpose and for a purpose. So we can't, we can't remove it. When there's hard statements made, we have to deal with it and be submissive to it. And we can't add to it. We can't come up with quick one-liners that sound super smart, you know, and, and add to the truth. Now, if we can say something that reveals the truth even more so and it's biblical, then great. But Paul's been really clear. 
for three chapters straight, and here in chapter four, we are finding out that it is all about the gospel. Paul says, when I came to you, Corinth, I chose to know nothing but Christ in him crucified. And they gave him such a hard time for it. We'll find out later in this book, in, in 1 Corinthians, that they thought he was a terrible teacher. It's like, man, his letters are weighty and powerful. He's amazing with writing, but boy, he's a terrible preacher. That's what they thought about him. It's so funny, he knows that too, and he says, he, in the scripture we read, and we'll talk about it, I, I don't even care about how you judge me. <laughs> I, I can't even judge myself. I, I care about the one who can judge me. That's kind of the next point in our notes. Number two, God will come and judge the motives of the heart. Let's look at it starting in verse five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Hmm. Now, that verse, as we read that, that's like a little terrifying, right? Like God, God's going to come and judge us. Now, now he's, talking, he's talking about Christians. There's going to be a judgment for us as Christians. It's not a judgment in regards to our eternity. It's a judgment about what we have done with what God has given us. Everything, you know, think of these words Paul's using, servant and steward, and, and think about what that means for us. And now he goes into judgment. They were trying to judge him in the way that he was preaching and teaching and how weak it was compared to his writing. But he says, no, 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 no. I'm not worried about what you think. I'm worried about what God thinks because your judgment means nothing, but God's judgment means everything. And let me just tell you, God is coming to judge us all with what we've been given now, it's not going to affect where you spend eternity, but as I, as I think about this and talk about this, what we need to think of, it, I, I can't help but think that there's going to be a lot of tears shed that day. We have to ask ourselves a hard question. What are we doing with what God has given us? We're stewards. Everything we have in our bank accounts, every minute we have of every day is a gift and grace from God. What are you doing with your life? As your pastor, I have to ask these hard questions. What are you doing with your life? Are you spending it on the kingdom? Are you giving it to the Lord? Laying it down? Now he also says there will be a commendation from the Lord as well. We will have a blessing because of our sacrifice and faithfulness to the good news of God. This word commendation is a neat word. It's used for praise or made famous, commendation. This, it's this idea that, that, that when we get to heaven... And, and God, we stand before our King of kings and Lord of lords. 
man, what a great day that's going to be. It's going to be awesome. It's just going to be revealed. Our hearts, our motives for the things that we've done, it's just all going to be revealed. And, and there's going to be a lot of tears shed, right? Because we make mistakes. But, but there's going to be commendation. There's going to be praise where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't, that's what we want, church, right? We want to go before the Lord and, and be excited about how we've poured out our life for his kingdom and for his glory. We, we look back, as Paul's telling us, it's the good news, the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. And as we look at that, it motivates us and encourages us and, and just propels us forward to, to good works, not to earn some commendation from heaven. Just It's out of this amazing gratitude and thankfulness that God loves me no matter what. No matter what, that's the grace and mercy of God in Christ, the gospel. And it motivates me and propels me towards good works. And God says, hey, I'm going to empower you and encourage you and motivate you to good works through the gospel and good news of Jesus. And get this, once you do those good works and all out of a motivation of the gospel, guess what? I'm going to reward you. I'm going to save you, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to sanctify you, I'm going to glorify you all in my grace and mercy because I'm a good God and love you. And then you know what? I am going to commendate you because I'm a good God. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying here? Salvation is a work of God. Sanctification is a work of God. Glorification is a work of God. This motivation to good works is a work in the power of the Holy Spirit, God in us. And he says, man, I'm going to give you a good pat on the back commendation right here when you come to. You'd have to be crazy to walk away from Christianity. What kind of God does this? No wonder so many people get confused about it. No wonder God's word says it's mysterious because that's I can tell you're even having a hard time getting your mind around that too right now. The goodness of God. The great goodness of God that is so beyond how we comprehend and work through things. God's ways are not like our ways. I was thinking about that. How can we, how can we even think about this? When I... Um, Let's just say you're in second grade, okay? Let's just imagine with me. Do you guys remember second grade? No? Just me? Okay, let's try seventh grade. Anyone? Okay, okay, three of us are with me. Okay, good. All right, let's imagine we're in seventh grade. Teacher calls us to the front of the room after the intercom comes on, and they, and they say, hey, uh, you're wanted in the principal's office. What's the first thing you think? Seventh grade, principal's office, what do we think? <laughs> Commendation? We were at two different schools, Trent. Was that you, buddy? No, no. We, you start to think to yourself, you're like, oh, what did I do? Right? It's kind of the first thing, right? Oh, no. What did I do? Oh, no. And you're making the walk. You're going down to the principal's office. You're kind of sweating a little bit. You're like, oh, no. What's this all about? And then you start working through scenarios, right? You're like, what did I do at recess? There was, there was that kid that was bothering me. Did I? Then you think, like, what, what was it yesterday? Did I do something yesterday? Or you're like, oh, what could have happened? You get to the principal's office, and you're sitting there and in silence, and you're like, oh, no, what's happening? And he says, all right, 
We saw what you did yesterday on the playground. When so-and-so fell, you were the only one to stop and run alongside them and give them a hand. So what we wanted to do is we just wanted to recognize that. We think that's a great thing, and, and, and we think others in the school should, should serve each other this way, and, and we want to give you this certificate. And at, at the next uh, day uh, where we're gathering all together, we're going to recognize you and have you come up and receive this certificate. What are we doing? What are we doing with the good news? Are we, are we running to share the good news of Christ? Are we motivated to good works because of what Christ has done? Good and faithful servant. All right, the last, the last thing I want to pull out of this, this scripture is kind of, I don't know, like the, the icing on the cake where Paul is, he's going to lay it all out for us right here. And he says it in verse 7. It says, For who sees anything different in you? Right? Our lives as Christians should look different. Who sees anything different in you? But then he says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast? It's right there. Why do you boast? So, so this gospel idea, this, this grace from God that he, he miraculously steps into our lives, reveals himself to salvation. He brings us from death to life and then he works that his will in our lives and sanctifies us. This is a, a work of God that, that is amazing he does in us. And, and he's, in these mysteries revealed, this gospel of Jesus Christ, this is all a work of God in us. And he's, he's saying to them, why do you act like you've received, you know, you're acting like you've got this on your own. No, this is God given to you. Why do you boast? Pride. Pride. The root of division all right here comes right here. It is pride. Plain and clear Pride, and this is the third filling in your notes, pride leads us to division. Pride leads us to division. How applicable is this for us today? <laughs> right? Division? I don't know if you watched debate earlier this week or not. Political division? Division in the church over masks? We have people leaving churches because of masks. A little bit of division, right? Man, it's like God planned for us to study this stuff right now. If pride is the root of division, if pride is what leads us to division, what's going to lead us to unity? I'm not, it's no trick question. What leads you to unity? Humility, Right? Now think about this. As Paul started this whole thing here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, servant and steward, lowest of the low. He's, he's speaking these words of great humility. And then he tells us all this stuff in between. And then he comes to it and he just brings it to a head. And he says, listen, the reason you're so divided is because you're just so prideful. 
If we want to be unified as a church, if we want to live out our purpose that we talked about last week, loving God and loving others, if we want to live out our mission in unity together of making disciples, if we want to reach the 200,000, the only way we're going to do it is if we are completely and totally unified. So that means if we want to be unified, what Paul is telling us, what God is telling us through Paul is that we must walk our lives out in humility. And Paul models it for them. I'm a, I'm a servant, lowest of the low. My hands are on the oar. I'm in the bottom of the boat, in the heat, in the mess, in the dirt. And I'm working, I'm working hard with my hands on the oar. Humility. Let's look at what humility looks like in Scripture just a little bit. Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He doesn't just say be humble there. He says be completely humble. What goes along with humility? Gentleness. Patience. Now get this one. This is a fun one. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing, you get the idea of, of you're walking through something really difficult with someone else. It's hard, it's monotonous, it's suffering, it's grief. Bearing, bearing, you think about burdens. Like, like I have to walk and journey along some other Christian in the struggle of life that they're going through? Yes. Yes, that's what humility says that you're going to come beside a brother or sister who are going through the mess and walk with them. Bear their burden with them. Humility. Ephesians 4 verse 2. Now let's flip over to Philippians 2. Well, let's save that one for later. Proverbs 11 2. I hear papers I'm jumping around a little bit. I love that I hear the papers. I hear the digital Bibles too. I hear some iPad. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be impressive though, wouldn't it? Proverbs 11 too. When pride comes, then comes what? Disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. How about Romans 12, 16? Live in harmony with one another. There it is, harmony, unity. What does he say? He says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, how can we be prideful when everything that we've been given is a gift from God? We have a tendency as humans to look at creation and forget about the creator. It's like our natural leaning. Corinthians were elevating the messenger, not the one who gave the message to the messenger. In church, we have to be honest with ourselves. We do the same thing all the time. 
Anytime we elevate something above God, I mean, even if it's good things that he's given us, good preachers or a good spouse or good kids or good food or any of that, if we, if we elevate it above God, it just messes up everything. It's really, really, the root of all this is idols of the heart. Putting things or people on the throne of our heart where only Christ should be. So in closing, I want to just remind us of true greatness, true humility, from the perfect model of it in Philippians 2, starting there. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, by being unified, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at the pictures of unity he has right there. So he goes on to say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There's that word again that Paul used for himself even. But Christ, Christ by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the picture of true greatness, true humility. When we look at that picture of our creator God coming down and living a life for us and then dying the death that we deserve, what kind of humility is that? How can I not then prefer others above myself? If Christ preferred me in that way, how can I not prefer others? If Christ made that kind of sacrifice for me, how can I not lay down my life for you, for my neighbors? How can I not share the good news with, with my neighbors and share what God has done in my life with them? How can I not be obedient to God's word if Christ was obedient even to the point of death? Christ, our perfect picture of humility. Mission view as Christ is our example. Let us be a church that moves forward with purposeful humility, striving towards unity for the glory of the one who saved us. That's how we're going to live out our purpose of loving God and loving others. That's how we're going to live out the mission that God's given us of making disciples. 
And that's how we're going to live out the vision of reaching 200,000 people with the good news of Jesus and the love of God. Let us be a humble church. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we talk about humility, we talk about unity, there is so much there. We say, Father, that we are completely dependent on you. God, that you would reveal any pride in our hearts. Help us to be a church that, that asks the hard questions. Lord, right now, reveal any pride in our hearts. Grant us repentance. We want to be an obedient people, unified and reflecting the glory of God. So come and do a work in our hearts. Grant us humility, Father, that we would love one another well. We, we just say, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.